Um, I want to read this passage that we read last week, and um, continue with um, just what God would have for us tonight. It's Matthew five, starting in verse one. It says, now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in spirit, or pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who, perse- who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden, neither Do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl? Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. I just want to take a minute to to pray over this today. Thank you, Jesus, for these words. Thank you for what you're already doing in this place tonight. Thank you for the way that you are removing fear and you are freeing your children. You're freeing this family to be more like you. God, as we continue... We desire to take heart what you've spoken to us and what you want to speak to us even now. And we want to be willing to receive it and to be willing to go with you. No matter how challenging, knowing that your spirit is with us. So Holy Spirit, would you unite us tonight? Would you... Do what only you can do and just reveal truth. Help us to see Jesus more clearly. Help us to see ourselves more clearly. Help us to see each other more clearly. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... 
I'm reading this passage that I read last week and I shared on last week, and we are going to continue with it tonight. And as we do, um, I want to take some time to revisit the sermon from last week and to clarify some things, hopefully. Um, I want to start by saying that when it comes to discussing the topic of, of race and racism, um, as with maybe many potentially divisive issues, that um, there's an inclination, I know for myself and perhaps for others in this room, to um, rather to just ignore it or to not say anything. And even as we were praying about not being ruled by fear, I think too often we are when it comes to this conversation. And speaking from experience, I believe too often that's been the case in my life. And with that said, um, you know, there's, there's often in that fear a reservation of saying the wrong thing or of offending someone or of coming across as ignorant or not knowing. And I believe all of those things are real concerns, real possibilities, especially when we talk about, um, again, issues that can be divisive and issues that perhaps we don't really know a lot about. But if there's one thing that I want to resolve personally and for us as a family, it's to talk about the hard things. Because after all, isn't that what family is about? Isn't that what families do? If there's one place you should be able to to say the things that um, you've kept to yourself because you don't know how other people respond, it should be in the context of family. Now that might mean you have to apologize later when you say something stupid, but if there's one place where that apology should be able to be given and received, it should be in the context of family. And so with that in mind, I, I honestly, I feel like I do need to apologize for some of the things that were said last week because I don't think that they came across the way I intended. Um, and I want you to know, and if you know me, I think you know this, that I don't take this position lightly. And I don't take lightly the fact that every week I'm tasked with coming before you, having actually heard from God. Because if I don't and we don't, then what are we giving people besides opinions? And so that's my heart. And so when, with that said, um, this past week I realized that some of what was spoken last week either was spoken from a place of not knowing or perhaps even in my best intentions um, didn't come across the way that I had hoped. And so for that, I have to say I'm sorry, um, particularly to those that may have been hurt by what I said. 
And as your pastor, it's my desire to not only go after the hard things, but to be willing to admit when maybe um, I've misspoken. And so with that in mind, I want to clarify some things that were said last week as we revisit this passage. Last week, I attempted, and perhaps rather poorly, to address some of the things, some of these things that we're reading about in the words of Jesus here, and to express the Father's heart. I need to clarify that in our covering of the Sermon on the Mount, I believe that there are kingdom principles here that are relevant for each and every one of us, relevant for each and every one of our lives, regardless of our race, regardless of our situation or our circumstances. I believe that if we find ourselves living life in the kingdom of God, that these words are for us, and they are words meant to direct us in the authority and guidance of Jesus. The purpose of my message last week was to express that there is, in fact, a state of blessing in the kingdom of God that is not because of, but rather in spite of, undesired circumstances and even cruel situations. And in fact, there's a blessing in those places, not because of those things, but in fact because of the truth that God is in our midst. And that blessing, in fact, is discovered when not only we realize that, but when we discover the truth of his presence and of his intervention. I need to clarify um, that I don't believe that's the same as saying, be happy with whatever you're going through, be happy in the middle of oppression, because God is going to take care of it, he's going to work it out. I know that's not the same thing. And in fact, to say the second I believe is in fact cruel and insensitive, especially to those who are in the middle of great loss, who are in the middle of experiencing that sort of oppression or injustice on a daily basis. In fact, I believe that in the words of Jesus here, that the blessing for us comes from the comfort of God that is being felt by those who come alongside a person who mourns, by those who are willing to step into the pain and give room for the burden to be felt and to share in it. I also need to clarify a few more things to clarify, okay? Before we start talking about what for today, I need to clarify that the call to things like mercy and meekness are not about being walked over, and they're not about surrender and submission to those who would seek to rule and oppress. I believe, in fact, they are rather about conquering evil with good. I believe they're about coming into agreement with heaven 
that defiance will be expressed through the upside-down nature of heaven itself. But in fact, there are things that we need to be opposed to and in fact, in defiance of. But there is a way to do that, according to Jesus. I believe a really powerful example of that is much of the civil rights movement. Where there was a resolve by many to march in nonviolent protest of injustice and denial of basic human rights. Believe that these people so often in defiance exercised meekness through not retaliating with force when they were beaten, by not spewing hate back on those who were throwing it at them. To me, this is a picture of Jesus. This is a picture of the meekness of Jesus. It is having the ability or right to do something and choosing not to because of a better plan that you see. Lastly, I want to clarify that there was a significant part of last week's message that was missing, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. A significant part of this discussion that we need to talk about as a church family. See, because the question exists, not only is there the question of what is our response as believers in these things, but specifically, what is the response of believers who find themselves in a position of privilege because of the color of our skin? There is such a thing as white privilege. There is such a thing as privilege in general that many of us have been afforded because of the life that we find ourselves in. We need to ask the question, What do we do with this? I believe these are questions that we need to ask, particularly as a church that is made up of a majority. And with that in mind, I want to revisit the Beatitudes tonight. And I want to apologize ahead of time for being um, perhaps a little glued to my, my notes. I want to be purposeful with my words this evening, sometimes winging it is not the best way to go. <laughs> I want to focus specifically on the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 9. He says these words. He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. I'm going to say that again. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. On Tuesday, we discussed this passage, and we discussed some key distinctions for how we apply the words of Jesus spoken in Matthew 5. And one of the key observations that came out of this was noting that many of these blessings were, in fact, the powerful response of individuals who would choose a better way in the midst of being wronged by those around them. And while this is the call of Jesus for those that would live like him in those moments, what should the response be of those that find themselves not in the role of experiencing these firsthand, but in the role of witnessing someone else being in this place? What should we do when we see others who've been wronged, mistreated, and oppressed? I believe the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 9 
speak into this type of a situation. I believe this beatitude is distinct in that it addresses perhaps more than any of the others the role of those who witness strife, injustice, violence, racism, and much more of the brokenness that we're right in the middle of here in Baltimore and in our country. I want to focus on two parts of the words of Jesus in Matthew 5-9. The first is the word peacemakers, and the second is children of God, this distinction and title. So the first question that I want to ask us is, what does it mean for us to be peacemakers? I believe this this answering this, this question is vital to us applying this word of Jesus in our life. And I think we can actually define or find part of our understanding and what Jesus did not say here. Jesus says peacemaker. He doesn't say peacekeeper. The words of Jesus, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, not the peacekeepers. That is to say that this is a place that has not yet been arrived at. That this is a situation that has not been fulfilled. A state of being that is yet to be discovered. And one that, if it's going to be achieved, will take action. In fact, that word maker, to me, gives us a picture of creating something that has not yet already been made. Maker. I believe, in fact, it is tied to the creative heart of God. And I believe that we need the creative heart of God if we're going to be peacemakers. If we're going to look at the situations around us and not just point out things that aren't the way they should be, but actually be able to be a part of the solution. Not only to be able to see violence and strife, but to envision and to create peace. Peacemakers. It's going to require the creativity of heaven to get there alongside the willingness of the church. Pastor Rick Azell, he helps define it this way. He said the word peace is the Hebrew word shalom. Often it's used as a greeting or a departing word in much the same way that we would utter hello or goodbye. It's a broad term related to health, prosperity, harmony, and wholeness. It means perfect welfare, serenity, fulfillment, freedom from trouble, and liberation from anything which hinders contentment. When a Jew said shalom, they were wishing on another the full presence, peace, and prosperity of all the blessedness of God. The famous ironic benediction of Numbers 6, 24 through 26 brings out this very idea clearly. The Lord bless you and protect you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. He goes on to say it's important to remember that peace in the Bible is always based on justice and righteousness. Where justice prevails and righteousness rules, there you will also have peace. So without those things, we can't have it. 
But without these two virtues, lasting peace is not possible. When we look at our city, and that's where I want to bring this, because we find ourselves right in the middle of a place so desperate for the peace of heaven. So desperate for people who would say, Jesus, I want to go with you in making peace. And when we think about this place, I think that there are some that think that peace looks like the absence of riots. And I believe that that's simply not true because based on that definition, peace requires us to ignore injustice and violence that was here long before the riots. And in fact, was part of the reason that those riots happened in the first place. Um, a friend and a brother in Christ shared these words this past week, and I thought they were fitting for this discussion. He said, in the words of Jeremiah the prophet, I'm not going to say peace, peace, where there is no peace. They address the wounds of my people like they aren't serious. My little black brothers and sisters growing up in impoverished communities in Baltimore don't have peace. I don't have peace when I walk out my door and I see the overwhelming brokenness of a totally defunct system. There's no peace here. When the community leaders in Sandtown have to create a report on police misconduct, there's no peace. When the city has to burn so someone will pay attention, there is no peace. So before everybody rushes to tell everyone, be calm, how about we get serious about dealing with the wound? For many, peace didn't exist in this city prior to the riots, and it still doesn't. And if we're going to be peacemakers in this city, I believe we have to start by acknowledging that. I would say to be a peacemaker, it requires us to acknowledge and identify with the pain felt by the people around us, whether we are experiencing that same reality or not. And it requires us determining to be reconcilers set on the safety, well-being, and the wholeness of others without exception. That, to me, is what it means for us as the people of God to be peacemakers, to bring the shalom of God into Baltimore. The second part of the words of Jesus here that I believe are powerful for us today is this title, this distinction as children of God. When he says, blessed are the peacemakers for they will be called children of God, he is declaring this pursuit of peace is a defining characteristic of those who are in his family. So when we sing that I'm no longer a slave to fear, but I'm a child of God, do you realize what that means? It means that we would be a people defined by the pursuit of peace for the world around us. The pursuit of wholeness, freedom from violence, 
for the world around us. He's saying this is what we need to be known by. This is what should identify us with him and with the Father, that we are going after peace. Susan shared some words this week in an email with me that I think, again, are relevant for this discussion. They're part of a devotional on the Sermon of the Mount um, from the International Justice Mission. And one of the words that was spoken in there says, After leading the UN investigation of the Rwandan genocide, IJM President Gary Haugen said, I've had people ask me, where was God in the midst of all of this? The more relevant question for me was, where are God's people? God's plan to bring comfort to those who mourn is us. His plan for restoring the world is us. And you guys know we believe that here. We believe that's why the, the prayer that Jesus taught us, your kingdom come, your will be done, is a powerful one because it's a prayer that we are coming into agreement with. It's a prayer that we are seeking to live out. And it's, it's actually that prayer and choosing to align ourselves with it that ushers in God's will in this place. I believe it's the reason that in this powerful declaration that God is in our midst and that he's doing something about the pain, that Jesus, he follows up these words with this important connection. Are you ready? You don't catch anything else. This is the connection. He says, you are the saltiness. You are the brilliance. You're the flavor. Let people taste and see the goodness that's in you. And through that, they will see God himself. I fear that there are those that have not seen God in the midst of these things because his people have been unwilling to pursue what it means to make peace. And what it means to intervene on behalf of those that don't have it. So there's a powerful question that we need to ask. Where are the children of God in these things? Maybe even more personal. Do my life's actions declare my affiliation with the Father to others? Are we on the front lines bringing peace where it's not yet present? Or are we content and disengaged because of things that we think don't concern us? We're talking about fear today, and I want to be honest, this conversation scares me. You know, it's okay to be afraid. It's just not okay to stay afraid. It's not okay to let fear rule you. This conversation scares me. You want to know why? Because I'm scared of being a peace talker. Rather than a peacemaker. I'm, I'm afraid of saying some things that have good intentions behind them, but not following up with them. It's not enough. And in fact, I know that my tendency so often is towards selfishness, and I believe that 
Selfishness is the very thing that privilege would appeal to in order to keep things just as they are. This isn't your problem. So why would you concern yourself with it? This isn't your problem. So why would you care? Rather than you have been afforded something valuable. Don't keep it to yourself. I believe in this way, to be a peacemaker, it requires us to leverage any benefit or advantage that we've been given. Not keeping it for ourselves, but rather giving it away so that others may also have what ought to be, but what isn't. I want to say that again. Being a peacemaker, it requires us to leverage any benefit or advantage. That is our privilege. Not keeping it for ourselves, but rather giving it away so that others may also have what ought to be but isn't. I want to wrap this up by asking a question. Where do we go from here? Where do we go from here as a church family? So that we're not just peace talkers. So you guys haven't said anything yet, so you can't be categorizing that yet. But I'm inviting you into the conversation. So as you come into the conversation, there is the possibility that you would just be a peace talker. That we as a family would talk about these things but not do anything. But you know what? I don't think that's going to happen. Where do we go from here? I believe the first place we need to go is prayer. I know that seems obvious, but I believe that for each one of us, there may be the tendency when a pressure is applied to just go with the flow. Okay, what, what do you want me to do? What are you asking of me? Okay, just give me the, the list and I'll do it. But I think what we need individually and as a family is we need to hear from God on this for what it would look like to engage in this making peace in our city. And I I know that God has already been speaking, and so part of that is also in prayer that we would be unified in what he's saying. And so we need to pray individually and together for these things. I believe that right now our city is ripe. Our city is ripe to see a peace that can only come from heaven. I believe right now our city is ripe to see the children of God manifest themselves in a world that is groaning. I believe that right now we have an opportunity like never before. This word is not a new word, but it's a word that God is saying now is the time to realize it. So pray. I believe also that... Um, I want to encourage us, although I don't want us to remain in talking peace, I think that's a place to start. We need to discuss these matters. We need to be engaged in discussion together. And so I want to invite you into that. And uh, uh, the panel discussion is a way for you to be engaged in that. And so I want to encourage each of you. Maybe you don't feel like you have questions at this moment, but I want to encourage you to think about some. I want to encourage you to ask God, what, what, what about this Don't I know anything about or need to know? Ask that question, okay? 
So I want to encourage us all to be engaged in the conversation and to show up next Sunday to be a part of that, to listen. It's a good thing to do. I forget sometimes, but it's a good thing to do, to listen. Lastly, I want to encourage all of us to be a part of action. And I don't believe it's a matter of if, but how we're going to respond together to pursue peace in this city to a greater measure so that his name would be great. And I believe as we find clarity in the coming days, um, I want to invite each one of you to determine, to resolve to be a part of that, whatever that looks like. Let's pray.